0: Hello and welcome to MPB's At Issue, where we discuss and debate the issues facing the Mississippi legislature. I'm Michael Gidry. Hundreds of bills were introduced in the House and Senate before deadline Monday night, but it's safe to say two bills got most of the attention. The House and Senate each saw the introduction of legislation to expand Medicaid coverage to the working poor. For the first time, it was Republican lawmakers who spearheaded these measures. House Medicaid Committee Chair Missy McGee spoke about the work ahead as the two bills are negotiated.
1: Senator Blackwell and I have a, a great relationship, and we will be meeting to discuss um, the issues before both of our committees, Senate Medicaid and House Medicaid. In terms of joint hearings, we haven't discussed that yet, but we are are planning on meeting and discussing you know all the all the different issues before both of our committees in a spirit of cooperation. So I really I look forward to um, getting to sit down with him and discuss these issues.
0: McGee was also asked about Governor Tate Reeves's negative comments on the proposed Medicaid expansion.
1: So my response would be, I'm a member of the House of Representatives. I don't work for the administration of the state. So I believe that we have um, strong support in the House for finding health insurance solutions for our low-income workers and we can do it in a very positive, um, economic, um, uh, be- economically beneficial way.
0: Republican lawmakers say any Medicaid expansion will require recipients to be working and to contribute to their insurance premiums. These conditions would require federal approval. Senator Derek Simmons of Greenville says this is not the so-called clean bill Democrats had hoped for, but he remains optimistic. Uh, what democrats have pushed for uh and what we uh have always sponsored was just a clean uh medicaid expansion bill uh expanding medicaid uh per the affordable care act uh uh, uh and so uh we'll have to look closely at that to see uh if if it's expanding or providing ac- access to, 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 to coverage or additional access to care On Tuesday, House members heard from Dr. Morgan Henderson, representing the Hilltop Institute at the University of Maryland. The nonpartisan group conducted an extensive study on the economic effects of Medicaid expansion in Mississippi.
2: So you may have heard the expression, if you know one state's Medicaid program, you know one state's Medicaid program. And so we we were very um, conscientious to try to examine how Medicaid expansion studies have functioned in states either geographically proximal to Mississippi or otherwise we, we believe that we're germane to, to a potential uh, Medicaid expansion study in Mississippi. We're seeing that uh, Arkansas, which expanded with its private option, it's it, uh, is estimating net budgetary savings of $97 million as of uh, fiscal year 2020. Louisiana, which expanded in July 2016, they're estimating net budgetary savings in the order of $16 million. Uh, Kentucky, which expanded early in January 2014, they're they're estimating net budgetary savings. Michigan, uh, they expanded pretty early. They're estimating big net budgetary savings. And Montana, I uh, was estimating approximately budget neutral.
0: Dr. John Godet, a pediatrician in Hattiesburg, gave his perspective as a physician.
3: It, it's an old saying, and, it, and we've all heard it before, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Well, that is absolutely the case, and... And when I think about prevention, I'm not just talking about you know detecting. Let's say if you detect a cancer early, you can uh, treat it with um, more minimally invasive surgeries or with uh, um, uh, more successful um, uh, treatments than if it if you waited till it had spread all over your body and and had and uh, was quite advanced. And you know and so that's an easy one to talk about. But then um, you know. Um, Other conditions, um, like chronic conditions, such as asthma or uh, diabetes or kidney disease, heart disease, uh, early intervention on the end. You know, emergency rooms will handle emergencies beautifully. But in terms of uh, 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 starting a medicine in order to sort of manage or mitigate a bad outcome or to, you know, help improve quality of life uh, um, for a chronic condition, uh, that's something that has to be done with in the you know outpatient doctor's office setting, uh, and if you don't have access to that, you really are only managing something when it comes to an emergency. I'm looking at it through the, the lens of, of a physician and through the lens of a parent uh, and a patient as well, and I see there are benefits to having access to health care that really can't be ignored. So I'd say no matter what lens you look at this through, uh, you're going to see a benefit for the population of Mississippi.
0: There's also major news on Thursday as a new bill changing the funding mechanism for the Mississippi Adequate Education Program passed out of the Senate Education Committee and will now go before the full Senate. Here's committee chair Dennis DeBar.
4: Well, uh, I don't believe there will be any issues on the Senate side. As you know, we passed it unanimously last year. I think working with uh, Chairman Robertson on the House side, uh, we'll sit down and, and just hash out the differences if we can. And, um, you know, hopefully we can come to a consensus and, and move forward. But I think um, the Senate's position, uh, as, as determined last year, and I think so far this year, is we we are moving forward with the, the MAP formula with some technical changes that we've made, uh, fully funding it. Um, and that's where we're at. And then... So stay tuned.
0: Each week, we have an in-depth conversation with one of the key players in the legislative process. This week, we welcome Speaker of the House Jason White to our studio. Speaker White has represented District 48, which includes Atala, Carroll, Holmes, and Lee counties since 2011. He was unanimously elected Speaker of the House on the first day of the 2024 legislative session. Speaker White, thanks for joining us on that issue. Thank you. It's great to be here. So, I think the the focus the spotlight heading into the session was Medicaid expansion, the question of if and how um, reporting from Mississippi today last week laid out the Senate's potential plan to address this uh you know, reluctance to call it Medicaid expansion, but it does make more people eligible It does draw down federal funding so um you know Where is the House position on this? We, and we know that you made a change with the Medicaid Committee with Missy McGee. Um, she has been an outspoken proponent of some type of expansion. What can we see, expect to see from the house
4: um, well, i'll just say this um, we 'll talk about the House plan. As to the Senate plan, I have not seen a plan. I have not seen a bill. I think you've, you know, the the lieutenant governor's made some generic statements about he supports it. I don't even know if they have the votes in the Senate to pass any sort of uh, expansion product or whatever you want to call it. Um, We've been focused on that for the better part of six months and certainly into the fall while I was still, of course, campaigning for speaker. Um, There seemed to be some consensus around We were willing to look real hard at this situation and and look at low-income working Mississippians that aren't covered, have no coverage. Either they don't make enough to afford their own or the jobs that they feel the employer doesn't provide it. And so that, us being one of the most unhealthy states in the nation, poor, all the things and factors, and we could debate and talk about reasons and things for that, but it's no denying we're an unhealthy state. So when you factor all that in together with the labor force participation rates that we see hovering barely above 50 percent, I think we need to do everything in our power, number one, to incentivize work. But number two, the folks that are working, let's try to keep those folks healthy in the workforce and out of our emergency rooms once their conditions have exacerbated to the point of, um, you know, they've got some chronic things now going on that if if they'd been addressed with just regular normal health care might have been prevented, so to speak. So. I think it makes sense. Most Mississippians see it as the federal government pays 90 percent. The state shares 10 percent. We have health care providers that are stepping up and saying, hey, we're we're willing to help the state pay that 10 percent portion. Um, Most folks are centering around this. They believe this to be the right thing to do. And so um, as Republicans, I think Mississippi's prospered for 12 years under Republican conservative leadership. I think the one area that's fair for critique in our leadership has been. We have not addressed this issue. And so and, I was determined if I got a chance, yeah, we were going to address it. And it's
0: interesting it. you mentioned, because, I mean, your stance on this is a departure from past leadership. So, um, you know, when you, were, you mentioned campaigning for speaker, was, I mean, was it was it a, a, a very targeted decision on your part to, to bring this potential solution to the health care crisis uh, to the forefront, to the top of the conversation as, as uh, I mean, as you kind of tested the waters?
4: Well, I mean, as we began to see problems around the state with our hospitals, particularly rural hospitals, that started driving this conversation a little bit. But but let me be, I I wanna be quick to point out, this will not save some of our rural hospitals. They're gonna have to change the way they do business. No question about that. So I'm not putting forward um, covering these working Mississippians through Medicaid as a way to save rural hospitals. It won't save all of them. This will go a long way paying for some of the uncompensated care that they all provide, while it will also make our workforce healthier and more able to show up for work every day. I think that's important. And again, we're talking about mostly working Mississippians from age nineteen to sixty four. Um that's a lot of people. It could be as many as two hundred thousand people in Mississippi. Um I just think I think it's time for us to have a real conversation and figure out a way to do this at little or no cost to the state. There's 122 members in the House, 79 are Republicans, who campaigned on a conservative platform. But part of that f- platform is doing what's best for Mississippians as a whole. And so you're going to see a conservative spin to it, maybe different than what some other states have done. But at the same time... Um, Can there be something like a hospital tax? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yes, there will be a provider tax either through our managed care companies that handle the Medicaid population or through our hospitals or some combination of the two. They have all been more than willing to come sit down at the table Mm -hmm. and say, hey, we want to be part of this solution. This is the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. And and I would remind folks, um, again, we're talking about at no cost to the state. And just simply by covering the working poor and expanding Medicaid to those individuals – the federal government gives you an enhanced um, reimbursement on your entire program for two years at 5%. So you're talking about 650 to $700 million of federal money that would come immediately to the state. We can bank that money and use it to offset any portions of the program that, that are considered too expensive. Um, I want to do it for four years. I think after four years we have data to measure folks can decide the parts that are working the parts that aren't working and how we need to tweak it if we need to tweak it. So I'm 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 willing to hear other people's views on it. I'm just we're tired of hearing no, no, yeah. no. It's time for us to examine real solutions.
0: And and last thing on this, speaking of no, you mentioned the 79 Republican members. It is a it is a supermajority. I imagine you'll have support from the Democratic Party members of the Democratic caucus in the House all for a plan like this. There is someone out there that has said no to Medicaid expansion a lot, often often framing it as welfare. Uh, do you feel that whatever you ha- whatever you're able to put together in the House and work with, or with the Senate, if something were to come to fruition, that that at least in your chamber there will be enough to override a veto if it were to come to that?
4: I think in the House you'll see probably north of a hundred votes for 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 this. And and I was talking about when I was running for Speaker earlier and this be- coming up. Here's how it came up. As my colleagues were campaigning for re-election in Republican primaries, for the first time, voters were saying to them, what are y'all's plans on health care? What are you going to do about these hardworking Mississippians who have no coverage? Because they know somebody, somebody in their family, maybe the particular person they're talking to is in that boat. And so it, it started being real for them as they were on people's doorstep asking them to vote for them. And so that's when the conversation started coming back to me about, hey, we got we got to get a plan together. We've got to address this. And so um, – Sure, the governor, you know, has been against traditional Medicaid expansion, and he has not been quiet about that. And certainly he's entitled to his opinion. And, um, you know, he's won however many statewide elections he's won. That's that many more than I have. And so um, with all due respect to him on the issue, I think folks can be for Tate Reeves for governor and still have a common sense approach to how we cover the hardworking Mississippians, Um, who are in that low-income category below 138% of the federal poverty level. So um, I don't think those things are, are exclusive. Like, I think you can be for Governor Reeves. And I'll also say this. I've been having conversations with him. He is reasonable and is pragmatic in his approach.
0: We're, we'll shift a little bit, and you know, talking about Medicaid expansion as a way to extend health care coverage and access uh, to to the working poor, to, 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 you know, maybe less less served or underserved communities. Uh, the Mississippi Adequate Education Program, uh, kind of in the same vein, attempts to do the same thing, make sure that underserved or unserved places uh, get some of the resources and the accessibility. It's a big question. Um, I'm, I know it came up last year, the funding formula, it hasn't been fully funded how do we address this as a state? Is it is a completely, you know, revamped formula? Is it you know committing to funding it? I, so all that in mind, what is the house position or the house strategy when it comes to education funding?
4: Other than the health care piece, this is where we have spent <clears throat> all of our time. The last I put some of our smartest people in the chamber on the house in the house, particularly on this issue. Um, as you know, we had a change in our uh, chairman in education, mm-hmm. so there there are fresh faces there we are going to come forward with a um, formula rewrite. We will move away from MAP and, and come up with a new model that is student-centered. It, is, it will have a base student cost and then have particular weights to that student, not to that district, not to past funding at any particular district and not at the teacher units. The, the things that MAP chases in the way that it tries to come up with this magic amount And again, we're not reinventing the wheel. Our sister states around us have done this. Tennessee just did it. Um, It's more fair. It's more equitable. It's what MAEP was supposedly designed to do. But it had an an artificial catch in there, that 27% rule that propped everybody up to that point. I say that weighs heavily into um, what I'm calling true fairness and equity in a funding formula. And what's going to be interesting to me is to see as we unveil this, it cuts across party lines and regional lines, and it, it's going to make for maybe some strange bedfellows when it comes to politicians mm-hmm. figuring out maybe maybe they've normally been against a formula rewrite in education, K-12 education, and this one actually helps their people. So they're going to have to make, make a decision, do I go with the standard talking point of mm-hmm. MAP is great, anything else is bad, or am I going to look at the facts and say, This is better for my district, and it addresses the exact things that I say I'm here fighting for. Now, let me say this. That's going to come with a lot more money. Um, we're We're going to be willing to put our money where our mouth is. And we've had some hold harmless over the past few years as it relates to particular school districts that have either lost students or changed Mm-hmm. we're going to get out of that over about a three year period we're going to give a three year phase in to get get out of some of that and at the same time um get to a more equity based model
0: so i hear you now hear you talk about being student centered um and you mentioned places like Tennessee. Um, it sounds like you're setting up something that's going to be at least a stepping stone towards school choices. Is that that the intention here, to to set up a funding system that allows money to follow students?
4: No. The only way, you know, money can only follow students in Mississippi through what I'm calling our ESA program and the way that we've done that with, with children with a disability or some other things. I do believe you will see what we call a portability piece that allows students to transfer from their local public school district to another public school district that will accept them and the home district won't be able to hold them anymore against their will. Now they've got to get that other district to accept them and certainly accept the state portion of the student cost because that's all it'll be able to transfer. We're not going to transfer the local mm-hmm. part of the money. It'll stay in the home district. Um, so there will be a portability piece, but it won't it won't it won't necessarily take flight in this new formula. It's that's just another piece of our ed reform we think if a, if parents and kids want to be in a different school district, the home school district shouldn't be able to hold them against their will. Now, we're not forcing them on anybody. That other school district have to be willing to accept mm-hmm. them. I do think you will see some push, at least in DNF districts, for, for students and the state portion to be able to go wherever they want to go. Now, you know, the politics are tricky on that with, with our state's complicated history of race and public school and private school and all of those things. I'm I'm not trying to whitewash any of that. I acknowledge that. Okay. I'm just saying this is about giving public school students, especially in, in, in poverty-stricken areas, some sense of choice where their schools have chronically failed over time. Now, folks would argue they've chronically failed because they hadn't had the money. I would say when you look at per-pupil spending across school districts, more money doesn't always equate um, – to better results, So much of it has to do with poverty in the home, you know, so many other factors that have nothing to do with the amount of money that's spent in that school district. Uh, the income
0: tax. I, I know when it was first rolled out a couple years ago, Representative Lamar and, and Speaker Gunn rolled out um, a, a massive income tax elimination. It didn't go anywhere, but over the, since, the years since then, we've seen... Um, some kind of, uh, I guess, reduction of the state income tax. Now we have some data um, on the effects of that. Um, as you well know, the, last fall, the, the Legislative Budget Committee wasn't able to agree on a revenue projection because because there's some questions about revenue. Early revenues are down. Has this kind of killed the fervor on, on a further
4: reduction or elimination of the income tax, or is there a more pragmatic approach to this now? I would say there was always a pragmatic approach. Here's what I would say. Revenues are slightly down from last year, but they're still going to be almost a billion dollars more than we spend in our state budget. And so as long as we're taking in a billion more dollars than we're spending, you're going to continue to hear Republicans talk about ways we can cut taxes and get out of your pocket and let you spend your money. Um, You know better how to spend it than we do. Now, having said that, we have major issues. We, you know, we're talking about spending more money at education. Right. Um, we're talking about um, PERS, even though nobody really wants to talk about right. it. We're talking about that. And they're well, going to
0: be potentially asking for an infusion
4: of well, funds themselves. Not potentially. They are they asking. They are asking. they okay. for, for a major cash infusion. So I'm saying you do have those things to think about. And, and um, I want us to be adults and have real conversations in the room about what we can do and what we can afford. So... We still got two years left of the phase in of that first income tax uh, cut that we passed mm-hmm. just two well, whenever it was two years ago. Now I guess three years. Um, it's still to be phased in. So while the clock is ticking, we're, we're still peeling off that to get to the four percent flat tax. And I believe we have two years left on that. So I feel like we've got a little time. I know that is high on the governor's radar um, to to continue that cut. And I see that the Senate has dropped a bill to cut the grocery tax. Uh, I do not see how they replace that revenue for cities. Um, and it, that is how cities fund their local governments is with the diversion that they receive right. on the sales tax collected in their cities. And so if we're going to pull the rug out from under our cities, we've got to have some sort of replacement. In that first bill that the House passed that you alluded to, we actually cut the grocery tax in half, but we kept the cities whole, which made it kind of like a double hit to the state. So we were giving up our half of it or our free force of it and the rest of it, we were letting the cities keep all of the diversion um, so that they were made whole. And so that gets tricky, you know, several hundred million dollars Mm -hmm. that goes to fund those municipal governments. I think you will, I think you will continue to see um, a Republican led legislature talk about ways of cutting taxes when we're taking in way more than we're spending.
0: And to be fair, when we hear things like taking in more than we're spending um, I'm just going to give one example um, of where maybe you know, um, uh, skeptics. Uh, My question: you know, the 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 governor declining the summer EBT program, federal funds coming in, the state just pays for the administrative costs, and the the apparently the reasoning for that was that we don't have the money. So when skeptics hear we take in more than we spend, and we hear things like, "Well, we can't afford that." I mean, what what what's your response to that? Well,
4: I can't speak to the governor and his right. decision on 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 that. Um summer program i do know the cost was minimal to the state so i I can't answer for him and so i won't attempt to i would i would say we feel like we're funding at pretty robust levels we put historic money in education last year our workforce training is up um we spent an extra hundred million last year on our hospitals we spent a lot of money and and so i don't know what gives I, i know there are things that look we have not done well in the mental health space, and with our child protective services, those things take money. You know, obviously, we've been and in lawsuits. Child protective on those things.
0: services is kind of coming out under the umbrella of human of, of human services, and they're going to need they are stuff to money to, to kind of fund this
4: reorganization. They are, and 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 we are we are preparing for that, um, and and those things take money. Certainly, yeah. they do. Last week, I was uh,
0: the House Minority Leader Robert Johnson was sitting where you were sitting, and one of the things I asked him was. Um, you have a supermajority, um, but Democrats have their, their policy priorities. Things are going to fight for, uh, what are one or two things where you see, uh, the most bipartisan support when it comes to, I mean, we've talked about Medicaid already, but to talk about getting, getting things done where, you know,
4: there should be a seamless path for, for some of these things. All right. Robert and I meet on a regular basis and surprising to m- lots of folks we're actually friends our wives like each other we go to dinner and <laughs> maybe part of that's we're lawyers and so we have you know we can sometimes put differences aside and just enjoy each other's company but certainly they want to do something in the healthcare space we want to do something there in the house among my republican caucus so so we're along the same lines might his look a little bit different than ours maybe but I think we agree on 85% of it and you know 85% of anything at the Capitol, I consider a winner. <laughs> um, and and lots of smart folks do too. So we've got that in common. Um, we are, we have agreed and continued to work on restoring uh, voting rights and suffrage to individuals who've committed nonviolent crimes. Chairman of our Constitution Committee, Price Wallace, is working with Chuck Taylor and some others um, in that space. How much does, or has, uh, the last
0: two big, like, big federal cases uh, regarding this—has that does that inform this decision at all, or is it looking at the electorate and participation rates, and or even just the kind of the archaic nature of of those provisions?
4: What I think is it's it? the archaic nature. Um, I mean, you're looking at one of the crazy Republicans who helped lead um, some of our criminal justice reform over the last few years, um, allowing for expungement of some crimes so that folks can. Go back to getting a commercial driver's license and be gainfully employed. And and some of the things that, you know, we do a terrible job and our recidivism rates are not very good. Now, I'm not blaming that on our prison system. I'm just saying about half of Mississippi inmates, when they leave our custody, are back with us in about 18 months. So we could do better there. So things like expungement, things like restoring voting rights. Um, If a guy or girl has gotten out of prison, they've served their time, they've paid their restitution, we want to restore them. We want them to be productive citizens in our state. And it's not too much to ask. If they've done all the things and checked all the boxes, it's not too much to ask. To restore those rights, so so we're trying to find ways and common ground and, and work hard on those issues. Uh, we've talked about a few things, um, I, I,
0: and I'll just leave this open to you. I mean, what what else that's coming through the house that you have your eye on that you're prioritizing that we haven't talked about that you'd like to throw out there?
4: Well, we talked about all this money a while ago, and we didn't mention M um, DOT and a dedicated stream of revenue. Now that's something that they've talked about for a long time. The issue is finding that money, and again, we're talking about lots of money. Um. They 've asked for an additional six hundred and fifty million dollars annually and and our budget's about six point five billion so they 've asked for a ten percent increase of what the state budget is overall just for their budget i 'm not saying we don 't need it i 'm just saying we 've got to figure out what we can and can't afford. There are potentially new streams of revenue with our um, online sports betting, which the House passed that bill Correct. two weeks yeah, ago. Okay. Um, I'm anxiously awaiting action by the Senate on that. I don't know what the holdup is, but you know, their politics maybe get tricky down there. I don't know. All casinos I talk to are very much in favor of it. Um, as our sister state Alabama considers going all in on gaming, I think that's one area we could um, improve. We could expand our our um, base, so to speak, in the gaming area. That would be a new dedicated stream of revenue. As we pass the bill, and they estimate thirty to fifty million there, they um, our bill dedicated that money to the emergency road and bridge fund at M DOT. That could be redirected strictly to maintenance, which is where their big need is of up to three hundred and fifty four hundred million dollars a year. We may even redirect a portion of the use tax. We send fifteen percent to cities and fifteen percent mm-hmm. to counties. Five percent to state aid uh, for for bridges. We may we may dedicate an additional fifteen percent to. Um, maintenance which would be about $150, $200 dollars a year right. so that doesn't get them all the way there but it gets them about halfway there but again that's a that's a large hit to the general fund budget yeah,
0: it's a large it's a large part of money and and from from the conversations that i've i've either partaken in or, or, or heard um it's you know I, the, this dedicated stream of funding this elevated dedicated stream of funding um, has to do with you know, having to play catch-up a lot, from what I understand, though, that that roads and bridges were neglected so long that we're beyond just the maintenance part of it. We need to get to repairing and renewing before we can get to to true maintenance. So, is I mean, is there a plateau? I mean, are we thinking a couple years ahead where we do reach a plateau to where, okay, now we're we're maintaining and we don't have to dedicate so much to to getting us there?
4: That is their plan. And I will say this. They have a good long-range plan that, prioritizes maintenance over here and what they call capacity projects, which are new, you know, widening a four lane like in DeSoto County mm-hmm. to six lanes where where that traffic is so heavy up there or, or things on the Gulf Coast, different ones. Um, incredibly expensive to do those kind of projects. We're still running a highway system on an eighty seven highway program that that tax gas mm-hmm. the way it did. Mm-hmm. It was not put on an index and it was not Um, a tax it was just per gallon so whether gas is a dollar or five dollars a gallon you get that 18 Mm -hmm. cent um we need to look at that and i don't know what that entails and i don't know where we go with that and and here's another thing as we've built that system on that gas tax folks are cars are more fuel efficient um they last longer and we have the electric vehicles coming on so so all of that needs to be looked at as we figure out how we're going to fund our roads going forward. It's tricky. Inflation has hit on those things, and what used to, a bridge that used to cost $10 million, now costs $40 million, and it's incredibly expensive. All right. Well, that's a, quite a number of topics. Speaker Jason White, thank you
0: so much for joining us, Alan, at issue, uh, and hopefully we'll talk to you again.
4: Very kind. Thank you all for having me. Mm-hmm.
1: News is all around us, and Mississippi Edition is the best way to stay informed about your community and what's happening across the state. I'm Desiree Frazier. Join us weekdays at 8.30 a.m. for a half an hour of in-depth discussions about important issues affecting your life. Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio, or you can also find us online at mpbonline.org and on demand wherever you get your podcasts
0: let's get straight to the point with views from both sides of the aisle we now welcome back austin barber and brandon jones to our mpb studios austin is a republican strategist and founder of the clearwater group brandon is an attorney and former democratic member of the mississippi house of representatives gentlemen welcome back to at issue thanks for having us you ready ready for another one we are all right well the Two big things, really, uh, Medicaid and ed funding. So let's start with with Medicaid. Um, since we last got together, Republican leadership in both chambers have uh, provided some real focal support uh, for some level of expansion. They you know, have different plans that, that, that they've kind of given us the ideas of. We haven't seen much nuts and bolts when it comes to the legislature. But um, but what I find interesting right now is, is kind of how this this is being framed Um, from Republican leadership, a lot of emphasis on workforce, both the workforce piece uh, that both leaders seem to want in there, but also this idea of framing Medicaid expansion as a way to keep the workforce healthy. So, Brandon, I'll start with you. Democrats have wanted just expansion cleanly for a long time, focusing on, you know, obviously the the rural health disparities. What do you take of this kind of Republican framing around workforce?
5: Yeah, well, I hope you guys will agree that I'm, always there to support a good idea, even if I think it's way overdue. And I'm trying to do that this time. I mean, it is great that we are finally having a full discussion on Medicaid expansion. I think it's been the, the best thing we could do as a state uh, for a long, long time from a policy position. Um, but, you know, let's to your point a moment ago, let's be honest about where we stand. We're one of only 10 states throughout the country who haven't expanded About half of our rural hospitals are are threatened by closure if we don't do something about the uncompensated care piece of our health care system. And so Republicans have had 12 years of supermajorities to try something. It's way overdue. I I do think the talk of like, let's study this, let's take, that's a little disingenuous. We're, We're out over a decade since states throughout the country have started going this way. So I hope that we move expeditiously, but in terms of where do I stand on it being a topic of conversation and at the top of the list, I think it's a good thing for Mississippi and way overdue. Austin, response to that?
6: Um, <clears throat> yeah, it's 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 funny, man. You think some issue will never come up at the Capitol, and then you go, oh, it's coming up at the Capitol. Um, and I sort of felt that way about Medicaid expansion that I didn't think it would see any light um but here it is and it's going to be it is uh going to be seriously debated uh, in both chambers the speaker and the lieutenant governor have said openly you know we want to have this conversation i think it's important to know a few things one we have not seen any legislation unless something popped out this morning that i may have missed that you know th- those and people who are listening, a little bit of a process here, what the legislature does, both in the House and the Senate, those bills that are filed by individual members, they put it up online. But they have thousands, literally thousands of bills, and it takes a while to sort of get those through the, the process. So those bills have not popped up They have, yet.
0: To, be, they have to be read, assigned a number, assigned yeah. committees. It's a, okay. whole, it's a whole process. Yeah.
6: So um, there are no tricks behind that. It's just, it just takes a while. Um there were some bills that i was other bills I was working on that I was waiting and they popped up this morning um but we hadn't seen it so you gotta see what the details are in in both chambers, and I'm sure they will have differences you know folks that I talked to who were conservative um man they sort of have a, a differing opinions on this. Gerard Gibbert spoke yesterday, <clears throat> excuse me at a joint public health committee House and Senate yesterday and I thought with very he said a lot of things that was really fascinating and I think George's a pretty smart guy and um, you would think oh this is a this is a conservative talk show host who is you know coming to talk to um, you know joint session of public health I, he he didn't I'm not gonna say he said yes we must expand Medicaid but he gave the reasons that a lot of people in my party think that we Need to have this conversation, which is, and I am sorry, I am going slow here, but I want to make sure Brandon understands what I am saying. That's a joke. He's got a hat on today. He's he's looking that. There is a
0: filter. Huh? Yeah,
6: exactly. Um, it, 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 what what Gerard said was, listen, there are there are folks who were out there who were working, whether they're you know single, married, you know, single with kids, or they're 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 married, who just aren't making much money. Okay, but they're trying, and either they can't afford an individual private insurance policy, or they can't get one because they're kind of, you know, part-time job here, part-time job there, but they're also, you know, they make too much money, which is not very hard, to be, to not be eligible for Medicaid. So it's these folks that, um, folks that I have conversations with believe we really need to figure out these people who are out working, they're trying to make ends meet, and they just don't have... ability to find a to insurance policy what i what i want insurance coverage excuse me because what i really worry about i worry about somebody And we have a lot of time so i can i can go here i I worry about the situation to where um this this theoretical family that i'm talking about with a 35 year old husband 33 year old uh, wife and maybe she's taking care of the two kids because they can't afford you know daycare and he's out doing the best he can what happens if there's a serious health care issue with them? i don't want them to go bankrupt because they have no coverage. So those are the kinds of concerns that I think have sparked this conversation. And there are a lot of ways to do this that that that, that are not just a full expansion, but I think that is sort of where this conversation, why this conversation is happening right now about some of those kinds of people that I'm describing. Sorry to be long-winded, but that was important. To set it up.
0: Oh. Well, you've heard, you've heard what he said. I mean, again, like this, this idea of really tying it to the ability to work, I mean, not just the people, not just people um, needing a work requirement, as as some some leaders have proposed, but this idea is that we need people healthy so they can work and kind of presenting Medicaid expansion in that vein.
5: Yeah, it's probably worth commenting that there is a great plan that's been introduced. Uh, House Democrats introduced a plan, and and I think they were really smart about it. What they did was they said, we know that pure expansion is a non-starter for Mississippi Republicans in the legislature. And so, actually not for Mississippians who have overwhelmingly said in polls they're in favor of it, but for legislative leadership. And so what they did was they kind of picked and chose from different plans to come in with something that kind of represented where the main line of of, of American states are in terms of implementation. So there is a good go-by that exists, and I hope and I think that Lieutenant Governor Hoseman and Speaker White will take a look at that because I think, Uh, Robert Johnson and and House Democrats did a good job. Um, But this idea of work and marrying this to the health care issue is a little confusing, because if we want to be honest about where we are, it's really a health care issue. It's a people not getting preventative care, and it's how people end up having to get help whenever they're in crisis. And so what typically happens in Mississippi is they don't have a regular doctor. So they have to go to their emergency room. And the emergency room under Mississippi law has to treat them. The problem is, since that person doesn't have insurance, that becomes uncompensated care. So it creates a huge financial deficit for these hospitals. And that's really the the whole crux of why these people are facing uh, so much trouble keeping hospitals open in in rural Mississippi. Um, The other thing about working requirements is it's based on this assumption that people who receive benefits don't work or that they have to be coerced into doing it. And that's really just not the case. I mean, people, by and large, try to work when they can. Um, And and, and frankly, in the one state, Arkansas, where they have a work requirement, that program has had some problems. You had 20,000 people who came off of Medicaid because what happens is everybody on Medicaid right now has to prove that they're exempt from the work requirement. That requires a whole new administration that has to cut through the red tape and say, Michael, you're on Medicaid now. Can you prove to us your work status? They have to do that on a monthly basis. It's created a lot of bureaucratic headache and red tape. And so people have found themselves off. They found themselves off one month on the next month. Administrators have f- said, this is a headache. We already know our current Department of Medicaid does not exactly love <laughs> dealing with these types of issues, Um so I hope that they'll reconsider marrying this to that work requirement um, for, for those reasons and look at it more as a health care requirement and, and health outcomes and the fact that people need preventative care and that we would have a healthier Mississippi for the moral and health reasons, but also for the economic
0: reasons. Austin, you're itching
6: to respond to that. Well, no, I mean, candidly, what I would like to see, and who am I, but I would, I'm a guy with the microphone in front of me right now, so I will say— I think a lot of people would want to see this on my side. I'd love to see the people that I just described right. have private insurance. I'd much rather see somebody with a, with a uh, I'm not going to say insurance a particular insurance company, but with a private insurance policy versus a you know versus being on Medicaid. Because listen, I, I know this you you have a better chance to get um, you know in a particularly in a, in a better um, uh, healthcare situation with a private insurance policy than you do with a with a Medicaid insurance policy. It's just it's just a it's just a fact. Uh, at least it's a, it's a, it's a fact in some of the things that I've experienced. um So is that a situation to when we have all these exchanges that are out there as a way to expand that and you know do some state and federal subsidies? I just think there's a lot of different ways that. Um, to to solve this problem that, that we see as a problem and I'll we'll talk about the work thing in just a second. Um th- that that I'm, I'm I'm excited that these this conversation will happen. Can I can uh, I ask this, a sincere yeah, question sure.
5: on that point? Isn't part of the the conundrum we're in is that the private market hasn't satisfied the I mean it's either I, it's either priced itself out I don't know, for Brandy. people that don't make good money I, I don't or know. enough money. I mean and
6: I don't know. I-, I don't know the answer. All I know is, you know, there's. I, this is sort of my theoretical. Uh, opinion on this is I, I i'd like to see more people with a private insurance policy even if it was subsidized in some capacity by state and federal government and and uh, you know th- is that possible i don't know well, that,
0: that sounds like the affordable care act and you know yeah but if
6: with the if, i don't know the, 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 there's so is so many details about this and what i'm confident is it's, it's going to be thorough it'll, it'll be thoroughly debated this session but listen it it our workforce participation rate, we have, we have record you know record unemployment. We do have a lot of people who are not in the workforce right now. Right. So you do hear that conversation that is tied in with this, and I understand what Brandon's saying. Hey, man, this ought to be about health care, making sure that people are going to the doctor, not waiting to go to the emergency room. You know, for for a spot on their back or their face or whatever it is, because they didn't have health insurance, and ultimately they're going to die because of that. Or you know, there's going to be some you know. $300,000 hospital mm-hmm. bill cuz they stayed in the cuz they stayed in the the ER and then the hospital for a week. Can we get can we get these people in you know 3 months earlier to go oh okay let's just do this and then we have saved a whole bunch of money there. So I I hear you. This is about healthcare, but it's also about listen, if we have a if we have healthier people That means we may have more people who want to participate in the workforce. It's kind of time together, but I know what you're saying. It's kind of a
5: grim worldview. Let's all get healthy so we can... Go no. back to the quarry?
6: No, that's not right. It's, it is no. If we if we are, it's not the quarry. The yeah, you know, that's that's. This is not the this is not the Flintstones. It is. Hey, how do we get people out there trying to figure out what do I want to do with my life? What job do I want to go start and and see if I can't find the success story that 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 they want to that they want to find. And maybe they can't because they're sick right now, or they're halfway toward that success story and they have a health care
5: issue. You're about to say something. Go and and. Well, I I was going to I was wondering if we were going to talk about the process, because, you know, I mentioned a moment ago, House Democrats have this bill that's very detailed mm-hmm. and they've released an 11 point explainer. They've released a three point explainer. Right. They've done press on it. They've talked to leadership in the House about it. Um, just, uh, Lieutenant Governor Hoseman had a press conference on this Monday or he sp- spoke to the press on Monday about it. And the bill that's out there is simply one that brings forward the code sections. Right. So we have no details. And this goes back to what I was saying a minute ago. We've had 12 years. Like, I think we're all close observers of the legislative process in Mississippi. Bless our hearts. But we've watched this process for a long time. And we keep seeing this pattern, Austin, of like, let's wait until the 11th hour and let's work out the details of this highly complex system under closed doors at a conference committee, what is the harm in going ahead and releasing your plan? Let rank and file members look at it. Let the representative from Forest General Hospital take a look at it. Let Delta Regional Senator take a look at it. Let Singing River Hospital's legislative leaders look at it so that we can all talk about these things. Let let people get their hands on it so that we can produce the best the best product. I'm, I'm a little confused right now as to why we don't have a plan. And it's yeah. past. We're heading into March. Yeah. Well, I mean, the,
6: you were a member of the legislature, and I don't think this is a new phenomenon of, of the legislature. But listen, we do have 75 days left in this session, and, and there will be thorough debate about this issue. And it may not be something that gets done this session. Big. And you said, why? It's been 12 years. Well, we have a new Speaker of the House right now. Okay, and we have a governor in a second term and we have a lieutenant governor in his second term. Uh, The timing just may be right now uh, to have this debate when it wasn't a year ago or or four years ago or 10 years ago. Um, So but I'm confident that this thing will be thoroughly vetted and debated. And you know how this is though. When you start working on something, and I know we got to pivot out of this. When you start working on something that's uh, as as leadership up there, that's that's a big issue. You have a lot of people coming to you with different ideas, and it sometimes makes it more uh, difficult to say, "Okay, here it is. Here's the final plan. Let's do this," because they want to listen and get input from you know from folks uh, all across the state.
0: Yeah. So that that's kind of where I wanted to go. I mean, is we're we're having the conversation. We have both we have both chamber leaders at least talking about, um, you know, finding a path toward this. And we don't know the nuts and bolts because uh, we've said that the, the, the legislation that they're presenting isn't isn't available yet. We haven't seen it. And, you know, to, to your point, some of it's just, you know, presenting code section. But, you know. Is there an appetite to actually get this done, this session? Or to your point, Austin, is this it's the first session of this term with a new speaker, uh, you know, a governor who has been against Medicaid expansion came out this week, you know, um, he's still against it. He's still against it. um, And and so, you know, is this one of those instances where, okay, we have. This is the first session of of this term. Do we get the conversation started um, and potentially not actually see anything come or I mean it, I don't think is, so. Is there actually an appetite to get things done despite the governor's um, kind of digging his heels in the sand against Medicaid? I, I think
6: legislative leadership in both sides um, are sincere with wanting to get something done this session, but you know that doesn't mean they will, but that there's there's no question that they are sincere about well having a, having this debate. Uh, in both chambers this session. I'm All trying right. to get something done.
0: Well, then to that point, I mean, does, from what you know, is is what, does that appetite translate into votes, into the votes needed, no matter what action the governor takes? Got to see the bill. Got to see the language. Got to know what the details are. Okay. Brandon, thoughts?
5: You know, I've long suspected that if left to their own devices, the legislature would overwhelmingly vote in favor of this. If there was no party pressure, if there was no political, if it was just here's the policy idea and here's what it does, because it's truly a no-brainer. I mean, we're we're splitting a lot of hairs here, mm-hmm. but there's a reason that 40 of our 50 states have adopted it, and those 10 holdouts are pretty politically polarized. And it's worked like gangbusters. And all of those 40, they're in a single one of those 40 that's out here trying to figure out how to give it back. They all like it. They've been doing it now for some of them a decade, and we're the ones that are kind of. Well, how do we sell this to our partisan people? Um, So I have suspected for a long time that if you took the guardrails off, you took the training wheels off, these people would vote in favor of it. I've suspected that that goes for leadership as well. And I'm I'm glad we have two legislative leaders in the House and Senate who seem to be moving in that direction. I hope they keep doing that. To your point about getting enough votes, Austin knows this. There was a time not too long ago that folks in that chamber— both chambers used to love overriding the governor's veto didn't matter if it was in their party you know back in the 90s i know i know democrats that that were in the house that loved overriding a democratic governor's veto because it was more about what the legislative process meant rather than the partisan piece of it mm-hmm. We got away from that a little bit. We, ha- we haven't done as much of that. But I think a little bit of that appetite is creeping up. I think you do have people who might be ready to say, we are the legislature. We have some strength, and we're not going to be dictated to by the governor.
6: You said we got away from that. There was some strong leadership that, that <laughs> made that a little easier to get away. Yeah. He, wasn't gonna, he, he, he was not going to lose those over for odd vetoes.
5: Oh, no, that's right. I mean, I, I was going to say this. I feel like sometimes we say it too often. A certain fellow by the name of Haley Barber kind of brought in a certain efficiency and strength <laughs> to the process and a certain party orthodoxy that made that environment tougher. Now, I did I did vote to override, I think, three of Governor Barber's vetoes. You were over. And I think I can't remember. I think we got it in the House, but it, it flunked in the Senate. Yeah. The, the Chinese toy bill, I really thought we had him on that one.
0: All right. Well, well, we'll pivot on that note. I <laughs> didn't think we'd be talking about Chinese toy. Bills, no, so, I didn't either. Right, there we go. Um, to the other big, the other big thing that's coming out um, the, the, this week uh, in the session is, and that's conversations over over Ed funding. Um, you know, the last session, the, the well, I'm sorry, last term, we saw. Uh, a lot of different conversations regarding education um, funding, whether it was the MAEP formula last session, a couple of sessions ago, you know, investment in teacher pay raises. Well, that question's up again. Um, when we seem to have, we don't have the nuts and bolts, but we at least seem to have kind of two um, schools of thought here in either chamber when it comes to how to address MA, the ed, ed funding. The Senate um, seems to be on a path to tinkering with the MAP formula to find a way to fully fund it. The House, through conversations with Speaker White, um, have their 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 plan right now is to scrap it and come up with something completely new um, that even has a portability piece. So um, you're in tune with the, the legislature, Austin. I mean, what what are you hearing from both chambers uh, and what are they hoping to accomplish when it comes to ed funding? Well, I should start with this. Um, Republicans
6: have led on education. Policy issues, at least for the last decade. This used to be an issue when Brandon was in the legislature that the Democrats just controlled. If you ask voters about who's got a better record on education, it was always Democrats. That has changed based on policy decisions that Republicans have made. And so I look at the decision by the House and the decisions by the Senate to have their own ideas as what they want to continue. Moving in a positive way towards making our schools better our public schools better in Mississippi um, at last year, I believe we were we uh, the legislature funded our public schools at nearly and it may have been three billion dollars so there's not an issue with funding right now there 's not an issue with how much money the legislature and the governor are putting into public schools. Um, I applaud the effort by both the House and the Senate to figure out what's the best way to make sure that these dollars get to these school districts, follow these kids to make sure that we continue to raise our scores. Our Obviously, people who listen to this probably know this, our high school graduation rates are at record high. Our reading scores, our math scores, all these things that we measure are doing better now than they have in generations so this is just another good debate just like we just talked about on healthcare. this is a good debate on education funding there, but there's there's no appetite to fund it at some lesser amount let's go cut education funding i don't see anybody talking about that that's that's not it's like what's the best way to do this it's, the, it's what, what path to take
5: brandon it, well, I mean, there's a couple things Austin said that I find objection. Well, one of them is that, you know, Republicans have taken over this issue. There's not a single major education bill that's passed that hasn't been bipartisan. I mean, it's mostly he, a function right. of Republicans I, winning I elections, not well, not, not necessarily.
6: And I'm not trying to interrupt you, but you, you're right. It's bipartisan, but but it's Republican leaders that are saying these are the things that we're going to do, third grade reading gate and up. Charter schools, teacher pay raise, But you're right. A lot of those Democrats are voting yes for, too.
5: And look, I'm grateful that our Republican overlords have not been <laughs> as nutty as some of the people in Florida and Texas and some other states that have just done some odd things with their public education system. So I am grateful for that. Um, when it comes to the formula, I don't think it's as sacrosanct as people might suspect with Democrats. I think mm-hmm. there's a recognition that formulas need to be updated. The last time this one was tweaked was in 97. So I don't think you're going to find, like, a fear about looking at the formula. I think what you're going to find some trepidation about is let's make sure that we get the right bill. Like, let's, let's make sure that we look at what does it truly cost to educate a student up to some proficiency standard that's objective, Let's get like a fair statement of that. And then let's make sure we pay that bill every year. Like whatever the cost is that gets us to a good level on educating a student, let's make sure we're paying that and doing it consistently. Because as you all know, the formula, like it, don't like it, we have failed our obligation to whatever that formula is really since it was passed. I think it's been three times since it was passed that we've voted to fully fund it. And so we we need to get to the point where – we determine what that true cost is, and then we we live up to that obligation. Yeah, because
0: I think part. I mean, when we're talking about you, you. You said no one wants to go in there and say let's cut cut education. But I think from the outside, the perspective is we've had this formula for years that say you should fund it at X, and the legislature's been no, we're going to fund it at this instead. So, I mean, the perception is it might not be that you know the that that they're not spending money or that the amount, that gross amount of money that, that they're spending is, is negligible. But But the public knows the lawmakers are not reaching what the current code says they should. So how do you resolve that? I'd push back on you. The public doesn't – there's probably three people in the whole
6: state of Mississippi
0: who actually understand the MAP formula. Uh, but uh, Boston, there was an initiative years ago put to the public, and it <laughs> the, the electorate turned out. So I think it might be a little unfair to say that the public doesn't know. No, no the public doesn't know
6: how the MAP formula works. What you're, what you're saying is the public has – there is a perception that the public has about whether they think public, public education is being funded at – an appropriate level or not, okay? I think that, I, I'm, I, you're not taking a position on this, but my, my pushback would be, look at the results. Look at the dollars that are going into schools. And not every school is perfect, of course not. There are a lot of schools that are still not at the level that they need to be. Um, but look at the results. Look at the dollars that are going in a record amount, from teacher pay raises to just general dollars that are going in. And then and then look at look at scores, you know, look at look at the how the kids are performing better than they ever have. Okay. I think that's what the public knows. The okay. vast majority of them, because they got kids or grandkids in right. the schools.
5: What what is a bit of relief to me, and and look, I again, I do think it's worth noting that you have bipartisan interest in getting it right, and mm-hmm. I do think it's sincere. Yeah, that's a, that's a big deal because a lot of times you have these conversations and you're like. I don't think they're serious about this. I do think there are some sincere, um, you know, supporters of public education that are over there helping to make some of these decisions. Um, I think there are some challenges over there, but I think by and large, people want to get this right. Um, and, And I think they have a chance to do that so long as they follow that kind of idea towards what is equitable what is it what does it truly cost? Are we taking into account those increased factors that can drive up the cost of this like poverty, special education geography people who are learning English as a second language um, career and technical training yeah. that has to be part of the 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 mix here and then teacher needs because there are some places where we're having difficulty attracting teachers mm-hmm. so that has to be baked into this formula. Um, And so, so long as those ingredients are in place, I think you could come out of this with the opportunity for bipartisan support. For something that's meaningful.
6: Well, and, and you and we should. I'm gonna name them. Dennis DeBarr, who's the Senate Education Chairman right. from from Leakesville down in Southeast Mississippi. He's been Senate Chairman. Mm, this may be his fifth uh, session, maybe longer than that. He does care. He 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 wants to do what's right. Rob Robertson from Startville, October Hall County, is the brand new Chairman Education Chairman uh, in the House, and so he's and prob- Richard
5: Bennett before him. Yeah, I, mean, I mean he clearly. Yeah,
6: was... I mean th- these. It, it had, I'm sure for Rob. I mean this is probably like drinking from a fire hose because there's so many different aspects of education, but he and, and, and Speaker White, I mean, these are guys and and Lieutenant governor, they care about this. They're trying to do this right. They want to make sure um, that they are funding teachers and students and administrative uh, individuals at the best they possibly can with
0: the, with the limited dollars that we have in the state of Mississippi. So, so last, last question on this, and we'll, we'll try to be uh, brief on it, but um. But is this something that happens this session? I mean, I asked that about Medicaid. Is this something that happens this session, or is this just kind of getting the wheels turning? What is this? What, what do you mean this? Um, a, 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 either a rewriting of MAP or a complete scrap of MAP in a new formula. Or, I mean, like we saw last year, I mean, the lawmakers don't have to do anything to the formula. They can fund however they choose to fund. Um, but, I mean, we're what the conversation we hear from, from Speaker White and now what we're seeing coming out of the Senate Ed Committee, are these just – mechanisms to get the conversation going that maybe the second or third session of the term something happens or does this really have you know wheels to get done this session
5: if we can get austin to get us that online gaming bill here's how you handicap it they've this this legislature has taken on a lot right already they, well speaking of <laughs> online gaming um they've taken on restoration of voting rights ballot initiative ballot initiative Medicaid expansion, which all any, any one of those could consume a session mm-hmm. if you're not careful and, and and as close observers of the legislature, we know our legislature historically is good at doing one thing, maybe two things, big, typically not five mm-hmm. so I think no MAEP will not be overhauled. I recall a short time ago the Senate hired a consultant, Ed build, who came in, and even proponents of rewriting at that time said this would take a couple years. Mm-hmm. That's what they said. So, I mean, if you just take, and that's been a few years, so I'm not suggesting that things can't change. But if you just go back to the most recent time when we touched this, the suggestion was it would take some time to get it right. And we want to get it right. That's more important, I think, than moving fast than getting on something, something like done. this. So right. I'm going to say no on that. I doubt it gets done this year. What do you think? I'm not into
6: making predictions. Um,
5: how, except that, how except that Ole Miss will win the national championship.
6: I don't know, man. It's, 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 uh, it's, there'll be a great debate. Gosh, you ask us that. in 30 days. So.
0: Ask in <laughs> 30 days. All right. Well, in between now and then, we'll have plenty, plenty more to talk about, I'm sure. This has been At Issue on MPB Think Radio, a weekly discussion about the 2024 Mississippi Legislative Session. If you can't catch us live each Friday at 630, At Issue can be streamed on demand on MPB Public Media app, or you can subscribe to the At Issue podcast. Each week's podcast includes an extended version of our weekly interview, as well as an extended version of our roundtable discussion. And if you'd like to see what we all look like. The full interview and roundtable are available on YouTube. Just search Mississippi Public Broadcasting at issue. I'm Michael Guidry from all of us at MPB. Thanks for listening.